Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of the Study with C. Martin podcast. I am your host, Shonda Martin. If you are joining us for the first time today, the Study with C. Martin podcast is the audio companion to my Bible study textbooks and the Study Online Bible Study course. To register for the free online course and access these materials, visit us online at studywithcmartin.com and download the materials chapter by chapter for free. Before we get started today, we're going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I thank you for your word and the magnificent power to believe your word. I thank you for faith, Lord. God, I thank you that you didn't play favorites, that you gave everybody the same measure of faith, Lord, to receive your word, to receive healing and salvation. Thank you, Father, for forgiving us of all of our sins, for drawing us to confess our faults to one another so that there is nothing hindering us from receiving from you, Father. Thank you for filling us all with the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that we know what is the hope of your calling, that we know what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance and the saints of light, and that we know, see, demonstrate, and experience the exceeding abundance of your power, which is at work for us who believe your word. Continue to have your way in this podcast, in this place, in our lives, that you are glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, God, we thank you for this time of study today. We forbid any ungodly thing to hinder us from receiving instruction and correction in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. If you are just joining us for the first time today and you haven't listened to the previous episodes, I ask that you come off of this episode, listen to the previous episodes and get caught up. We have covered an immense amount of material up to this point. So I don't want you to get lost or be left behind or trying to figure out why we're saying this, that, or the other. So if you haven't already listened to the previous episodes, listen to those, get caught up to speed, and then come back to this one once you're ready. Okay? We are tackling the last part of the individual healings in the New Testament. If you joined us last time, we covered one of my favorite individual healing episodes, and that was where we talked about the 10 lepers and how only one of them actually received healing because he was the only one that came back to glorify God. And we understand by now that the thing that causes God's power to be at work, not only in our bodies for healing, but in our lives, in our situations, in our relationships, to cause the turnaround that we've been desiring is faith. And what is faith? Just believing what the Word of God says, believing that you have everything that the Word of God says you have without requiring there to be proof first. Just believe it. Okay, so if you have the PDF pulled up, we're picking up today on page 398 with the story of a man named Bartimaeus. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by and he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Let's just pause right there right quick. Bartimaeus had to have heard something about Jesus already. Think about a little kid. They hear some music playing and a truck coming down the street. And they ask, what is that? Oh, that's just the ice cream man. Now, if I've never told you what the ice cream man was or how that whole process worked, the little kid would just be like, oh, okay. Like it's nothing to be excited about. But if somebody has already told that child, about how the ice cream man will stop in front of your house and you can run up to the ice cream man, give him some money, and he'll give you some ice cream. You can pick from all of these different flavors and different kinds of ice cream. That would be something for that child to be excited about because they'd heard something about the ice cream man. Likewise, 
Bartimaeus, sitting there on the side of the road, hearing a multitude, a commotion of people coming by, he asked, who is that? What's going on? Oh, that's Jesus of Nazareth. So what does Bartimaeus do? Oh, it says he cried out. When somebody cries out, you're crying out with a loud voice. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's like, hey, this is my opportunity. This is what I've been waiting for. I heard about this guy. The Bible says those who went before warned him that he should be quiet, but he cried out all the more. Why would he cry out all the more? Because he obviously heard that this Jesus is the one who helps everybody who calls on him. So he just kept calling on the name of the Lord. Son of David, have mercy on me. He's crying out son of David because he believed that this was the Jesus that everybody had been talking about. So Jesus stood still. I like that. He stood still and commanded that the man be brought to him. And when he had come near, Jesus asked him saying, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. And this account is recorded in Luke chapter 18, verses 35 to 43. It's also recorded in Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 to 34. And Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. Luke and Mark record this as one man, just Bartimaeus. But Matthew records this account as being two men. Now, as we saw with most of the previous accounts, when a person received their healing, everybody else around them glorified God. And it's no different here with Bartimaeus. It says all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. They saw this man's healing. They could tell this man was healed. Whose faith caused this man to receive his sight? His own. Bartimaeus had no doubt heard about the miraculous things that Jesus had done. So when he heard that Jesus was passing by, he knew that this was the moment that he had been waiting for. When Jesus asked him what he wanted, he did not hesitate. He told Jesus what he wanted, believing that he would surely get it. And immediately he received his sight. And again, all the people that saw it praised God for the man's healing. You know, you could look at Bartimaeus' situation and see the blind man being brought before Jesus and say, why did Jesus ask him what he wanted? It's obvious The man wanted to have his sight. Why would Jesus ask him what he wanted? Because this man's faith was going to cause him to be healed. Jesus couldn't just assume what the man wanted. And when Bartimaeus told him that's what he wanted, that's what he got. He had faith that he would receive his sight and that's what he got. So likewise, when we pray or believe for healing today, believe for the specific outcome that you want. You want to be Taller, believe that you're taller. You want to be completely healed from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet? Believe that you're healed from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. You want to believe that his power has caused you to be healed, fit and toned, clothed and in your right mind? Believe that in Jesus' name. Nothing is impossible to them that believes. Remember that. Next, we want to look at Lazarus being raised from the dead. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus. He was of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And just to pause right here, 
This reminds me a bit of the centurion story where people think they have to say things to get Jesus to come and minister to them. Oh Lord, you know, you should definitely come to see about the centurion servant or honor his request because he's done great things for us. He's built us a synagogue or he's given a lot of alms to the poor. Oh Lord, you should definitely come see about this person because this is somebody that you love. Or Lord, you should definitely do this for me because this, that, and the other. Anchor yourself in the word of God that says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And again, saved means healed, forgiven, delivered, redeemed. Don't anchor yourself in, Lord, you should definitely see about me or heal me or help me or heal or help my friend or family member because they've done these great things. Or Lord, you should definitely heal or help them because, you know, their family needs them. Nope. Anchor yourself in what the word of God says. Every person who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm calling on the name of the Lord because you said I could. I'm calling on the name of the Lord because you said that he who calls on you, you will never turn us away. Anchor yourself in that fact, not in the fact that you've been the best church member or you have all these particular accomplishments or that you think God should love you because you've done all these different things. No, you have a right to healing and help from the Lord because of what Jesus did. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Then the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews have sought to stone you. They're not just talking about random Jewish people. They're talking about the religious leaders. Says, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said. And after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. But Jesus was speaking about this just like he spoke about Jairus' daughter. He said the damsel is just sleeping. Remember? Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So even in saying this, his disciples are not believing for any kind of positive outcome. They're assuming that they're going to go back and they're all going to be killed with Jesus. (laughs) This is why Jesus often rebuked his disciples because In moments like these, they would confess unbelief or doubt, and they just weren't clear on what Jesus' overall mission was. So when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. 
Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who has come into the world. And when she said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. They thought he was weeping because, you know, it was a terrible situation. And they thought that he was weeping because the situation was final, that there was no coming back from that. But that's not why he was weeping. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench. And you know, sometimes, man, when the spirit of God is speaking through a person and working through a person, if they say, roll away the stone, just don't say anything. Be like Mary was when she was standing next to the disciples outside of the wedding in Cana. She didn't doubt. She didn't question. She said, whatever he says, do it. (laughs) Whatever he tells you to do, do it. They had run out of wine at the wedding and Mary told Jesus that they had run out of wine. Jesus said, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. She didn't question. She didn't flinch. She didn't doubt. She knew that he could do something about this situation. When the spirit of God is speaking through a person and they're they're ministering in a situation, just stand back and watch. Don't say anything. Don't confess doubt or unbelief. Just stand back and watch and you will see the salvation of God. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who were standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. And that account is recorded in John chapter 11, verses 1 to 45. Now, whose faith caused this man to be raised from the dead? Now, as I mentioned before, 
Just as with these people in these healing episodes from the Bible days, people today are facing real situations, life and death situations. So I don't say any of these things lightly. To ask someone to believe the word of God when they are on the verge of being evicted, in the middle of a divorce, in the hospital, having given a death report for themselves, or even at the funeral home when a loved one has passed. To ask someone to believe the word of God when they are facing those types of severe or devastating circumstances is just too much for people to hear and believe sometimes. Many times people rationalize that if God was going to help them or if he was willing to help them, he would have prevented them from being in that mess in the first place. But now that the situation has emerged or come upon the person, it seems that God must have permitted it. So they reason, what's the point in praying now? In cases as such, it's easy for people's minds to move right on from the bad report and do a mental fast forward of acceptance of this new station in life. Mentally accepting and becoming the person who got divorced, evicted, fired, or the friend or family member who's lost a loved one. And what do I mean by that? Doing a mental fast forward of acceptance. Sometimes when people find themselves in these devastating situations, if they have not already built their faith up in the word of God, believing that the power of God can help them in various situations, when situations come upon them, instead of focusing on faith, they start focusing on who they're going to be now. As a result of this situation, They are now the friend or relative of someone that has perished. They are now the person who ultimately ended up going through a divorce, being evicted or getting fired from a job. And when you try to speak faith to people in those moments, you end up sounding like an insensitive fool. That's why it's vitally important for a person to build their faith in the word of God before these kinds of things happen. Because when works of the devil do try to come against you, it's too late to try to develop faith for that situation at that particular moment. You can start to develop faith for things down the road. But in that moment, when you're already in the middle of that situation, you end up being like the person that's trying to build a house in a storm. Yes, it is possible to build a house in a storm. But how difficult is it to build a house in a storm? Trying to build a house in a storm All of your efforts continually get washed away by the floods, by the rains, by the foundation continually being washed away because you're battling the storm while you're trying to build. Again, this is why it's vitally important to build your foundation in the word of God while you have time, while nothing's going on. Build your faith in the word of God now. Get an understanding for spiritual law, spiritual authority, and the power of God and, and man's dominion over the earth and over everything in it now. Don't wait for trouble to start knocking at your door or calamity and situations to come upon you or your friends or your family members before you decide to get serious about the word of God. Choosing to get serious about the word of God in those moments often causes people to be let down because they don't have any faith. It's like trying to get a car to go and you don't have any gas. You didn't put any gas in your tank. You trying to speak the word of God, trying to speak faith to people in those moments confronted with serious life issues, if they haven't already been spending time to develop faith, that will sound like foolishness to them. And you definitely don't want to persist in moments like that because your goal should not be to beat people up with the Bible. And you can tell pretty quickly if people are receptive to you praying for them or trying to give them a word of encouragement from the word of God. 
If they are not receptive, cease efforts. Don't continue. Because ultimately you can do more harm than good by persisting to try to pray for somebody or try to continue to teach them a Bible lesson when they are in the middle of a tough challenge. They want some comfort. And in those times, just give them comfort. Jesus said, weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. So if they're not in a place to receive the word of God concerning healing and deliverance and help in those situations, it can be a challenge to stand by and watch people go without the power of God. But that's what they have resigned them to if they have not already established a foundation of faith in the word of God. Amen. And the best that we can do for them in those times is to pray for them that God would draw them to know what his word says so that where the works of the devil would try to come against them in the future, they would have some faith to stand against those things. Amen. Now, in this situation with Lazarus, we're still talking about whose faith caused him to be raised from the dead. Lazarus had not just died, but he had been dead for four days. For Lazarus to have been one of Jesus's close friends, why did his sisters not have faith from seeing what Jesus had done with the centurion, the nobleman, and the Syrophoenician woman? Remember, in all of those cases, Jesus didn't even have to go and see their loved ones. In all of those cases, Jesus only spoke a word concerning the person. And in each of those cases, Jesus wasn't even with the person that he spoke the word for. As we saw with those three cases, he didn't even have to come back to the town to raise Lazarus from the dead. He could have just spoken from where he was. Remember, he was away and had to travel to get back to their town. But that's okay. We're not throwing rocks at Mary and Martha because they are not the first people in the history of the world who struggle with believing God when they were faced with a tough situation. But what we do see is that they did have faith for the power of God to be at work if Jesus was there. So that was good. Because again, in each of the healing episodes that we've covered so far, whatever the people had faith for, that's what they received. And so in this episode, we do see that they had faith for Jesus to come minister concerning Lazarus in person. So that worked for them. And just as we saw with the dead man who touched Elisha's wrapped body, Martha and Mary continued to believe that Lazarus would not have died or been dead if Jesus was there. In spite of all the great crowds of people around them that believed and accepted the situation as being final. So why did Jesus groan in his spirit? What does that mean? Was he sad because Lazarus had died? As we'll discuss a bit more in chapter 14, when a person is filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit, there may be times where you'll be prompted to speak, pray, or even groan from your spirit. Now, in times as such, you're not praying or groaning or speaking from head knowledge or even from personal emotions about a matter. You are doing so by the Holy Spirit. And so why does the Holy Spirit prompt people to groan in their spirit? Well, as we have learned about ministering with gifts of healings or working of miracles, the power of God can materialize just as quickly as you can blink your eye when there is faith. And it can likewise dissipate just as quickly whenever there's doubt and unbelief. Remember, that's why Jesus could not do many mighty works for the miraculous in his own hometown. And we see the scripture reference for that in Mark chapter six, verses five and six. Now, while Jesus is the resurrection and the life and had already raised many others from the dead, in this instance, Jesus groaned within his spirit 
because the unbelief of the crowds could have hindered Martha and Mary from continuing to believe, which definitely would have resulted in the situation being final. That's why Jesus continued to speak faith to Mary and Martha and continued to ask them if they believed. So to get back to our main question, whose faith caused this man to be raised from the dead? Martha believed that even now, after all that seemed to happen, God would still do whatever Jesus asked him. Jesus believed that God heard him say that he was going to wake Lazarus up. And he also believed that God heard him tell Martha that Lazarus would rise again. Jesus knew what he was going to do and believed that it would be done. Mary and Martha both believed that Jesus had the power to help them. And Jesus reminded Martha that if she believed, she would see the glory of God. And because of their collective faith and continued believing, Lazarus was raised up after having been dead four days. Now, lastly, to answer a common question, the answer is no. God does not inflict people with sickness or harm just to show off his power. How do we know? Jesus came to do the will of the Father and said that while the thief, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, he, Jesus, came to destroy the works of the devil and so that we would have abundant life. So just as with the man who had been born blind, when Jesus said that Lazarus's sickness would be for the glory of God, the correct interpretation and application of that statement is, even though the enemy caused this affliction, God will be glorified because the person will be completely healed of that condition. And as a result, God truly was glorified and many more people came to believe in or have faith in Jesus when they saw Lazarus raised from the dead. Next, we're going to look at the servant whose ear Peter cut off when Jesus was arrested. And while Jesus was still speaking, behold, a multitude appeared. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. And he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these others go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servants and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Permit even this. He touched his ear and healed him. Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him, and they led him away. Now this is recorded in Luke chapter 22, verses 47 to 51, and John chapter 18, verses 3 to 13. Now, whose faith healed Malchus's ear? 
Jesus's, possibly the man, and even the other soldiers that were present. Now, in that moment, now a lot of people don't think of this as a healing episode, but a healing occurred. This man's ear was restored. In that moment, Peter thought that he needed to physically defend Jesus because neither he nor the rest of the disciples understood that Jesus had to be crucified. Jesus knew Peter had acted wrongly and did not want Peter to suffer the consequences as a result. Jesus touched Malchus's ear before he had an opportunity to think about asking Jesus to do anything. Now we'll see a similar event about a young man that fell asleep while Paul was preaching who accidentally fell out of a window and broke his neck. Now in that instance, again, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but in that instance, Paul immediately rushed down to the young man and healed him before anyone asked him to do anything. Why? Because that incident would have hindered Paul from sharing the gospel. Likewise, having that man's ear cut off would have caused Peter to have been arrested, if not killed, and would have hindered him from eventually fulfilling his role in establishing the early church. That's why Jesus told him, permit even this. Now, the Bible does not tell us whether or not this exchange happened quickly, in a matter of a few seconds, or if it took place over several minutes. Why is this important? Regardless of how much power Jesus has, he never healed anybody without their permission. Again, think about all the accounts that we've covered so far, even in the ones where Jesus initiated the healing. People had an opportunity to say, no, no, thank you. I don't want any of that. I'm good. Likewise, in this situation, Malchus could have said, get away from me. He could have drawn his sword against Jesus, but he didn't. The other soldiers that were there could have drawn their swords or used any of their weapons against Jesus. Did Jesus quickly sneak and heal Malchus's ear while the other soldiers weren't looking? If it took a few minutes, were all of the soldiers just idly standing by as Jesus ministered to the man? That answer sounds more likely because Jesus did have time to have a conversation with Peter before healing the man's ear, which would seem to imply that even though these men were there to arrest Jesus, they did reverence his power and authority. I mean, think about it. When they first came to seek Jesus, Jesus asked them, who are you here for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And then Jesus responded, I am he. When Jesus said, I am he, the power of his word, the power of him saying, I am that forced them to the ground. So they already had experienced firsthand the power of him just speaking a word. So I imagine they could have been a little hesitant in moving forward at that point. They could have been a little hesitant to do anything when he bent down to touch Malchus's ear. While Jesus initiated the healing, however long it happened to take, neither Malchus nor the detachment of troops nor the captain or any of the officers of the Jews, with all of their torches and weapons, none of them did anything to stop Jesus from ministering to Malchus, and they did nothing to communicate to Jesus that they did not want Jesus to help him. Jesus told his disciples on a previous occasion, he who is not with me is against me. He said that in Luke chapter 11, verse 23. However, the opposite is also true. Those soldiers were not against him healing Malchus, which meant they were with him in agreement with him, and permitted him to heal Malchus's ear. So again, the takeaway from this particular episode of healing, Jesus's faith was at work, and the people, Malchus and the other soldiers, they were complicit in Jesus ministering to this man. They didn't bring the man to Jesus for him to heal him. 
They didn't ask Jesus to heal the man, but they were in agreement with Jesus ministering to the man. Okay, so next we are going to look at the account involving a man who was born unable to walk. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, or charitable donations. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all of the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And that's recorded in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now whose faith caused this man to be healed? Peter, John, and the man all had faith that he would be healed. The man was begging for charitable contributions at the front of the temple. And most people don't stop to help the poor if they don't have anything that can help them. Peter and John believed that the power of God was available in the name of Jesus to heal the man. That's what drew them to stop in the first place. Again, as you continue to study the word of God and understand that the power of God is available to heal and help everybody, you will be just like Peter and John. As you go out, you'll notice people that are in need of healing and help and want to pray for people. Peter and John knew that the power of God was available to cause this man to have use of his legs. So they spoke. And again, when you pray for people and you're out and about, or you see people that need assistance and they're out and about, you can ask them if they want you to pray for them and they can reject. But if they accept, then they can be healed. This man accepted. Peter advised the man that while he didn't have any money, he did have something for him a command in the name of Jesus to get up and walk. That man could have laughed at Peter or even ignored him. How many times have people yelled insults at beggars saying, why don't you get up and get a job? None of those beggars ever jump up and say, okay, I think I'll get up and get a job today. Obviously, there was something different about what Peter said compared to what others had said to the man before. Peter told the man to look at them possibly so that the man could see that he was quite serious about his instruction. Peter's command was probably much like how Jesus spoke, as one with authority and not like the scribes. And while the man did not initiate the interaction, he exercised his faith and exercised his authority by believing and doing what Peter told him to do and was made completely well. Next, we see the account that involved a paralyzed man named Enos. Now it came to pass, as Peter went throughout all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. There he found a certain man named Enos, who had been bedridden for eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Enos, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. 
So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. And that's found in Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 35. Whose faith caused this man to be healed? Peter and Enos both had faith. And just as with the lame man who sat begging in front of the temple, this man did not initiate the interaction. Peter walked up to him, believing that the power of God and the name of Jesus was available to heal the man. The man willingly listened to Peter and did what he told him to do, believing that he would be able to do what Peter commanded him to do. And as a result, he was healed, and all who saw his miraculous change turned to receive Jesus. And as we have seen with so many other healing cases in the New Testament, when the sick person is healed, it doesn't just affect them, but it impacts all who knew how bad their condition was before. Again, if we look back at the episodes with the 10 lepers, the man who was born blind, and even the events that happened with Siva's sons, when people see the power of God actually in operation and seeing it change somebody's physical body or change their life in some way, that's a testament to them. People all around you are searching for God. They are searching to know whether or not God is real. How can I know for real that God is real? How can I know that there's something that is greater than me in the universe? You know, people like to talk about the universe. How can I know that there really is a God? When they see his power at work in your body, in your finances, in your life, that draws them to know that God is real, but then also to want to know more about who this God is, what they can also have because of Jesus. And so as we see with Enos's situation, His healing caused others to be turned to the Lord. Next, we see an episode with a woman named Tabitha who was raised from the dead. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated to mean Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, and they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him into the upper room. And all of the widows stood by, weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out, and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. And that story is found in Acts chapter 9, verses 36 to 42. Whose faith caused this woman to be raised from the dead? Peter's. The people that willingly sent for Peter hoped that he could help her, but their faith did not raise her from the dead. How do we know? A common response people have when a terrible thing happens to good people is that they weep and lament over the terrible situation that happened to the person, focusing on how final it looks, thinking that God should have spared them because of all of the good that they had done. Remember, we touched on this when we talked about um, the centurion sending for Jesus and how the elders and friends that he sent to go to Jesus on his behalf were all talking about how Jesus should help the centurion because of all the good he had done. Remember, in order to receive from God, we don't focus on 
our works or how good we've been because our goodness isn't what qualifies us to receive anything from God. Righteousness is what causes us to receive from God. And when we receive the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, when we accept Jesus's sacrifice for our sin, that qualifies us to receive from God. Focusing on how good you've been isn't going to cause the power of God to be at work for anybody. That kind of a response says that all of your hope is anchored in what would have been and that your faith, what you really believe in your heart, says that it's all over now, even though you decided to pray or sent for somebody else to pray. Again, that goes back to, you know, when you send for the elders, the elder needs to have faith. Or the people who sent for the elders need that. Somebody has to have faith if the power of God is going to be at work to do anything. Otherwise, just getting together to pray is not going to do anything. Again, praying without faith is about as effective as going swimming in a bathtub and saying you got baptized. And just as we saw with the episode with the centurion servant, the power of God does not start working to help us because of our own goodness or because of the goodness of the person we're praying for. We cause the power of God to be at work in our situations when we have faith in the authority and power in the name of Jesus and what he did for us. Again, in all of their lamenting, their focus was completely on the devastating circumstances instead of on what the word of God says they can do about it. When your focus is on the circumstance instead of on the word of God, instead of operating in faith, you'll operate in fear, doubt, and unbelief. But when we begin looking at those situations as the works of the devil that they are and remind ourselves that Jesus gave us authority and power over all power of the enemy, we will stop weeping and start speaking as Jesus taught us to do. Again, in Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said, if you believe, he said, you will speak. You will speak to that mountain and tell it to move and it will move. Just as Peter saw Jesus do when they went to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead, Peter put every person who doubted out of the room, including the people who sent for him. Why? Doubt and unbelief hinders the power of God from working. If doubt and unbelief could hinder Jesus, it can hinder us when we speak and pray too. Nevertheless, after putting everyone out, Peter prayed. And after he prayed, he spoke, commanding the dead woman to rise. And because he believed and understood that he had authority and power over the works of the devil, even over death, that woman was raised from the dead and made completely well. You have to be confident in what the word of God says and confident in properly assessing the situation. Peter saw immediately as everyone was weeping and lamenting and bringing him garments that Dorcas had made in hopes of telling him how good she had been and how much of an asset she had been to them. He knew that their faith wasn't in the name of Jesus. He saw that their faith was anchored in how good this woman had been. And again, when we go to pray for others or even have people to pray for ourselves, you can't focus on how good a person's been. Be anchored in who Jesus is and what he did for us. Next, we're going to look at a man who was crippled in his feet. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. And we see this uh, account in Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 10. 
Now, whose faith caused this man to be healed? While he did not initiate the interaction with Paul, this man had heard Paul preach enough to have faith in what he said. And what did he have faith in? The name of Jesus. And because he had faith, he did what Paul told him to do and fully believed that he could do it, even though he had never taken a step before in his life. That, that's some powerful preaching right there for you to hear and know that you can jump up on your feet. He had never walked. He had never taken a step. He was crippled from his mother's womb. But as a result of preaching the gospel, that's like that scripture where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel that I preach, for it is the power of God unto salvation unto all who believe. This man heard it, that man believed it, and he got up and walked. Amen. While Paul believed the man would be healed when he spoke to him, the man's own faith caused him to be healed. Paul initiated the interaction. Paul spoke, but that man had to get up. And that's something interesting that we notice with these different accounts of healing. Paul didn't make the man get up. Paul spoke. And the man had a choice to make, just like the man who had laid paralyzed for 38 years at the pool of Bethesda. He had a choice to make. Jesus told him, will you be made whole? The man said, Lord, you know, I've been waiting for my turn to get into the pool, but every time I try to get down into the pool, somebody else gets in front of me. Jesus said, will you be made whole? And that's the question Jesus is asking us today. Will you be made whole? Will you be healed today? Will you be made fit and toned? Will you be made a hundred pounds lighter? Will you be made restored today? If somebody was dealing with hair loss, will your hair be restored today? Will you have restored hair today? If you're missing teeth, will your teeth be restored today? If negative signs of aging have tried to plague your body, will your youth be renewed like the eagles today? Come on, claim that for yourself today. Rise and walk in Jesus' name. Rise and walk and have the renewed youth and healing today. In Jesus' name. Again, while Paul believed that that man would be healed when he spoke to him, that man's own faith caused him to be healed. And likewise, your own faith, even though I'm speaking these words over you today, your own faith, you choosing to accept what I'm telling you, what I'm speaking concerning you, that's what's going to cause you to be healed. Amen? All right, next we're looking at Paul recovering from being stoned. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, Paul arose and went up into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that's recorded in Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 22. Now, whose faith caused Paul to recover? The other disciples. Now, just to give you a little bit of a backstory on this, Paul had been preaching in this area and there were some Jewish people in the area and they had heard Paul preach and they were very excited about the stuff that he was preaching about. But then as he continued to preach, some non-Jews came and heard him preach. And the number of non-Jews that were receiving salvation 
was surpassing the number of Jews that were receiving the gospel. And as a result, the Jews started to get a little jealous. So some Jews stirred up some untruths about Paul. They stirred up a commotion among the people and persuaded the people to stone Paul, thinking that was going to be the end of it. When the mob supposed that their efforts to kill Paul had been successful, they drugged his limp, seemingly lifeless body out of the city. Now, whether Paul was actually dead or was very close to dying, the disciples then gathered in faith around him and he miraculously recovered. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And as those disciples were gathered together around Paul in the name of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord restored Paul and made him well so that he could continue preaching the gospel, making disciples and encouraging the other disciples. The next account we're going to look at is a spirit of divination cast out of a young woman. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. And that's recorded in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 18. Whose faith caused this slave girl to be delivered? Paul's. In the same way that the unclean spirit and the man in the synagogue tried to hinder Jesus and distract others as Jesus taught, this spirit was trying to do the same thing to Paul and Barnabas as they traveled preaching the gospel. And just like Jesus, Paul commanded that spirit to come out of the girl, and it did. And what is the spirit of divination? Anytime somebody is trying to use other mystical things to tell the future or give them supernatural knowledge or insight instead of relying on the Holy Spirit to reveal things to us that we need to know. So we don't want to venture into that category. When you try to make yourself know something, you cause yourself to be tapped into ungodly things. And that's what happened with this young woman. She had a spirit of divination where she had tapped into something that was not of God. So stay away from stuff like that. Next, the resurrection of a young man who fell out of a window. On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. The upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps. And as Paul spoke on and on, a young man named Eutychus, sitting on the windowsill, became very drowsy. Finally, he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories to his death below. Paul went down, bent over him, and took him into his arms. Don't worry, he said. He's alive. Then they all went back upstairs, shared in the Lord's Supper, and ate together. Paul continued talking to them until dawn, and then he left. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home alive and well, and everyone was greatly relieved. And that's recorded in Acts chapter 20, verses 7 to 12. Now, whose faith caused this young man to be brought back to life? Paul's and the local believers. As we saw with Jesus and the widow of Nain in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17, no one asked Paul to do anything, yet no one stopped him from doing anything. And very similarly, we see that Paul told them, don't worry, he's alive. 
Why? In the same way that Jesus told the widow of Nain, do not weep, Paul told them this to keep them from fearing and doubting, as their fear and doubt would have hindered the power of God from working in that situation. Remember, anytime the power of God is at work via gifts of healings and working of miracles, doubt and unbelief can cause that power to dissipate and dematerialize just as quickly as you can blink your eye or snap your finger. So in that moment, Paul quickly called out to the people saying, hey, don't worry, he's alive to arrest any possible doubt or unbelief they could have had that would have hindered the power of God from causing that young man to be brought back to life. So while it seems that Paul's faith alone healed that young man, the local believers exercised their faith by continuing to believe that the young man was fine. And as a result, he was perfectly fine. Additionally, if the young man had remained dead, that would have hindered Paul from sharing the gospel with the rest of the people there. They would not have wanted to hear anything else that he had to say at that time. Definitely not continue on preaching for several more hours as he did. But because the young man was restored to life, they let him continue on preaching and teaching through the night. And again, in this section, we see how Jesus, the apostles, Peter, James, and John, and others in the early church applied all of the tools that we have covered up to this point. We see them understanding man's dominion, spiritual law, and spiritual authority, and recognizing where they have an opportunity to exercise spiritual authority in these matters. When unclean spirits were working through people to heckle them or hinder them in some way, they immediately arrested those spirits. In the name of Jesus, no, come out of that person. Where injuries or accidents occurred that would have hindered them from continuing preaching the gospel. Don't worry, they're all right. They're healed in Jesus' name. Speaking over people, causing ears to be restored and causing the dead to be raised. So likewise, as we come across things in our day-to-day, We need to recognize where we are to implement these tools and exercise spiritual authority over the works of the devil, because these things are not supposed to hinder us either. As we mature in faith and as we mature in the word of God, and when we can take all of these tools and put them together and minister to people, that allows us to continue to be able to share the gospel. Because when these kinds of things can happen in your midst, in the middle of a sermon, That doesn't give anybody any confidence or encouragement in the power of God if somebody falls dead while you're talking. You're talking about the goodness of God and somebody falls dead. No. If you can recognize where you have authority to speak, you have authority to minister, and you can arrest doubt and unbelief, and you can cause the power of God to be at work because you believe and you know that you have faith and can take spiritual charge of that situation, man, that gives glory to God. Because by so doing, that's going to draw others to want to continue to hear and know and learn about this God who's given this authority to men to be able to do these things in the name of his son, Jesus. Amen. Next, we're going to look at an island magistrate's father who was healed. Now, in that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went in to him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. 
And that's recorded in Acts chapter 28, verses 6 through 10. Now, whose faith caused this man to be healed? Paul's and Publius. During those three days that Publius entertained them, Paul could have preached the gospel to him enough for him to have believed that Paul could minister healing to his father. But because Publius was a leader of the island, it is not likely that Paul took it upon himself to just pray for the man, as Publius would have had the authority and power to imprison Paul or harm him if Paul had done something that he had not given his consent for. Paul had faith to lay hands on the man, and Publius, the man's son and also his steward, permitted Paul to pray for his father, and as a result, he was healed. So as a quick side note, right before this episode happened with Publius's father, in the beginning of Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 6, we see where Paul was actually bitten on the hand by a poisonous viper. So why isn't that episode listed as one of the individual healings in the New Testament? Well, several days before that happened, and we see that in the previous chapter in Acts chapter 27, an angel appeared to Paul. And at that time, Paul, he was a prisoner that was being transported on a ship with soldiers on his way to appeal his case to the ruler who happened to be Caesar. Now, several days before this Viper episode happened, an angel appeared to Paul, letting him know that he and those who were traveling with him would be safe and protected because it was necessary for Paul to not only survive aboard the ship, but he had to stand before Caesar. That's part of his mission. So while that bite on the hand should have killed Paul, he suffered no adverse effects whatsoever. So there was nothing for him to be healed from. And while Paul was not healed in this particular example, Paul does demonstrate that we can be miraculously and victoriously protected from harm and danger when we continue to believe and obey God's word. All right. Breaking down what we've learned so far about the individual accounts of healing and deliverance in the New Testament. Because we understand that faith is what causes the power of God to be at work, let's take an overview of the categories of faith that cause these healings and miraculous events to occur. The minister's faith alone. Of these 35 accounts, only four were due to the minister's faith alone. Isn't that something? And how many times have we thought that The miracles in the Bible must have just happened because Jesus just willed it or Jesus just did it. Only four of these 35 specific accounts were done solely with the minister's faith. And three of those four cases involved casting out vocal or unclean spirits that seemed to provoke action from the minister. Those episodes are case number one with the man in the synagogue with the unclean spirit. Case number nine with the man at the cave of Gadaranus. Case number 30 with a woman named Tabitha who was raised from the dead. And case number 33 where there was the spirit of divination cast out of a young woman. In case number 30 where a woman named Tabitha was raised from the dead, she did not appear to have any family that could have acted on her behalf. And while those that sent for Peter hoped that he would raise her from the dead because of her good works, their faith wasn't in the right place as those spiritual babies did not seem to believe that she could be raised from the dead because of what Jesus did alone. In cases like this, where there is no legal steward and those that try to help are just spiritual babies, no one else's faith is necessary for the person to be healed, delivered, or raised from the dead besides the person who is ministering to or praying for them. Had they been mature enough to exercise any authority, 
their faith would have been required, just as it had been for the centurion, the Syrophoenician woman, the nobleman, and Jairus, as each of them sent for Jesus and had faith for him to do what they specifically asked him for. The next category of these healings and miracles involved spiritual babies and the faith of the minister as well. There were 11 cases where Jesus, the apostles, or other disciples initiated a healing with those who were spiritual babies and had not heard enough to have full faith on their own. But the person exercised their faith by permitting Jesus and the others to minister to them or by obeying the instructions that they were given. And while it was seen that Jesus and the disciples initiated those healings on their own, we understand that God never jumps into a situation without someone praying first. Which means... Before Jesus or the disciples initiated these interactions, someone already had to have prayed for God to help the person. In 14 of the remaining cases, we see where the stewards or those who requested Jesus or the apostles to help them had to have faith. Out of all 35 cases, there were five instances where people were raised from the dead. And as we see in these five cases, if the person was a minor and had a steward, the steward's faith was required for the power of God to be at work to help the person. And again, we saw that with Jairus, and we also saw that with Mary and Martha when they sent for Jesus to help Lazarus. In the two other cases, now we're not talking about the case with Tabitha because we've already addressed the fact that even though the believers sent for Peter, they did not actually have faith for Peter to do anything to minister to Tabitha. So we're not counting Tabitha's situation in the category where a steward's faith was required. So in the two remaining cases where people were raised from the dead, while we do not see where they called for an elder, we do see where the person ministering told their stewards to exert faith in some way, as their doubt or unbelief would have hindered the power of God from being at work to raise the person from the dead. And we see that in number seven, the case of the widow of Nain, where Jesus told the widow of Nain, do not weep, as if to say, do not cry, as if the young man is really dead. Instead, believe that all is well. And number 34, with the young man named Eutychus, Paul told the believers that knew Eutychus, possibly his family, don't worry, as if the young man didn't suffer any harm. Instead, believe that all is well. There was only one case where we could not definitively specify whose faith caused the person to be healed or delivered. And that was number eight, where the devil's cast out of Mary Magdalene and the other women. Again, since the power of God is at work when we believe his word, we know that someone had to have had faith or permitted Jesus to minister to Mary Magdalene and the other women for them to have been delivered. Now, if the unclean spirits were hecklers like the man in the synagogue or the young woman with the spirit of divination, Jesus could have simply used his faith to cast the demons out of the women. Or if their friends or family members besought Jesus to help the women, then their faith is what caused them to be delivered, just as we saw in the cases where the faith of a steward was required. Or Jesus could have had compassion on these women, and either they or those who were with them exercised their faith by permitting Jesus to minister to them, just as he had done with the woman with the back infirmity or the man who was born blind. Lastly, we see where in just five of these 35 cases, the ailing person had faith for their own healing all by themselves and got what they believed. We see this in cases number 3, 11, 12, 24, and 25. We can be encouraged by their examples, 
knowing that when we fully believe the word of God for ourselves, we can receive what we pray for even if no one else is believing with us. In evaluating these categories of faith to see whose faith was necessary for people to receive healing, ultimately, somebody had to believe something. Either the person by themselves or their steward had to believe something in order for the power of God to be at work for somebody to be healed. And again, only four of these cases was due to the minister's faith alone. So that's something to keep in mind because a lot of times we can think that the minister is spearheading this thing. Again, think about when people go to healing crusades or they go to the church conferences expecting to be healed. Looking at these examples, the minister's faith alone does not account for the majority of the healings. People have to have faith. And how do we get faith? By hearing and hearing the gospel. Amen. All right, so we're going to stop right here for today. I hope you are continuing to grow in the word and see how you can apply these tools in your own life to see the power of God at work for healing in your body or for those that you know. If you have any questions or positive feedback about the podcast or the materials, or if you want to share your testimony with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at studywithcmartin.com. You can send us a message on Instagram or Facebook at studywithcmartin. You can also send a message at anchor.fm forward slash studywithcmartin. Thanks again for joining me today. Again, I've been your host, Shonda Martin. Take care.